Step into the confession. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Uh, I think something's wrong with our audio. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. Welcome to the Clergy Confessions Podcast. We're committed to sharing truly awful experiences of ministers in complete anonymity. Without fear of reprisal, our guests can tell you their stories in full details. To protect the innocent, we've altered their voice and taken out context clues. So good luck trying to guess who these folks are. And if you're trying to, it might be time to change your priorities. And don't mistake these stories in an indictment of the church, as each episode is capped off with guidance on healthier approaches when facing moments of turmoil and conflict. In other words, we're not dumping on the church and we're not dumping on vocational ministry. Welcome to the confessional. Amen. Amen. Uh, to our guest, uh, welcome to the uh, clergy confession. What's, what's your story? Well, thank you very much for having me this evening. Uh, and also thank you uh, for giving me this opportunity uh, to share one of my horror stories. I call this one the pastor who purged his associate minister. I became the pastor of a small church and uh, on the outskirts of a large city. Upon becoming the pastor of the church, or on assuming that role, I knew in my mind that the congregation would be difficult to navigate. Uh, with with much prayer, um, I accepted the position. And shortly after I accepted the position, all hell broke loose. What made you sense from the beginning that this was going to be difficult? Oh, this is going to be funny. When the head deacon, who was also uh, the head of the search committee, uh, showed up to my house one night unannounced with spinners on his truck, I knew I was in for a difficult time. And if no one knows what spinners are, they are the the, the flashy rims uh, that spin um, on your vehicle. Um, and we could probably say that, you know, most of the time we see these on the vehicles of, of gangsters or those, um, you know, in the hood, so to speak. And so I knew then that I would be in for uh, a tough ride. You know, for our audience, it might be helpful because, you know, they, they don't know your true voice because for this altered your voice. So maybe to pick right. up on some context clues, our, our minister is, is, is a, is a black minister. Uh, so I would, it would just sound a whole lot different if a white pastor was speaking into the cultural things you were speaking. And another fun fact too, uh, Brian Foreman is actually the first person to put spinners on a Jeep Wrangler. So we can judge him for that later on. So I like to I like to be noticed. <laughs> All right, sorry sorry for the interruption. Uh, so you, but, you knew but, something was off, and the the deacon chair yeah. pastor sir share shows up at your house. And and I, and I'll add a little more context to that. So this deacon is approaching his seventies. Okay, so that point, you know, that add another little you know flair to that. He's approaching his seventies, but uh, he 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 has spinners uh, on his truck. So. Um, I'll leave a little of that to your imagination of what that would look like. Um, what you're saying is so he's still got game. He still has game. He still has swag. And uh, on top of all this, he has but three teeth left in in his mouth. Okay? Three teeth left. So um, uh, this whole situation started when 
uh, as a pastor, I called a meeting uh, of the deacon's ministry one night because I received word uh, through members of the community that two of the deacons of the church were fighting in the community. And so we called the meeting to get to the bottom of what was going on. Now, previously, um, they were granted the um, the landscaping contract for the church. These two deacons were granted the contract uh, together. They were supposed to take care of the grounds of the church together. But little did I know is that these two deacons did not get along. Uh, no one shared that with me when we made uh, the decision um, in the uh, finance meeting um, prior, uh, maybe a month or so prior. And so uh, the issue came about when uh, one of the deacon, when one of the deacons showed up to to mow the lawn uh, early in the morning, and he beat the other deacon there um, so he could get all of the money uh, from the check that period. And so, of course, that made the other deacon mad who showed up about two hours later at the appointed time. So that made him upset. And so uh, he went to uh, the guy's job and he threatened to shoot him on his job. <laughs> I, I assume you mean like literally, not not like metaphorically or proverbially or anything like that. I mean, I mean, literally, he went to his job and he threatened to shoot him on his job. But, um, and so, and so that caused a firestorm of controversy in the community. So, um, thank God that Deacon was not at work that day. He was not there. He was not scheduled to work. But then he received word from his coworkers that, hey, there's this man from your church, this Deacon, who came looking for you and he wasn't happy and he was threatening to shoot you. So he goes, to this deacon's house and he wants to fight him at his doorstep. So I have a clar clarifying question real quick. Which deacon made the threat? The three-toothed deacon or <laughs> fully toothed? This was the <laughs> this was the full tooth. This was the fully toothed deacon who made the threat. But then the deacon with the three teeth um, um, when, when he found out, um, he, you know, went to the other deacon's house and, um, uh, he wanted to fight on his doorstep. I bet there was a bunch of whistling happening with that. <laughs> I tell you, I, 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 listen, buddy, buddy, I said, <laughs> I said, I said, okay, Lord, I, I knew you were going to test me, but I never thought you were going to test me in this way. Is this, is this really happening? Uh, to me, in in my first pastorate, um, you know, I, I had just graduated from uh, seminary, and this is my uh, my first job as a pastor, and and so is this really happening? I thought I was prepared for everything. But this situation right here, how do you you know really deal with this situation? Um, except to call a meeting. Uh, because um, based on scripture says, you know, if, if, if there is controversy, then brothers, you know, should come together and reason together. And so I'm following scripture. And so and so I call a meeting and all hell breaks loose in the meeting. And so I was left with no other decision but to 
discipline these two deacons. Now there are four deacons on the uh, there are four deacons in the deacons ministry. Well, they all band together against me, and they refuse to chastise their brothers. All right. So just to get this straight, you bring yeah. them together after both of them literally uh, verbally um, threatened each other with violence, right? To, to bring a sense of reconciliation. And yet somehow you're at fault yeah. in this situation. And somehow I'm the one, I'm the one at fault. So they flipped it and uh, they all band together. <laughs> they chose not um, to discipline their fellow brethren, even though we have strict rules um, in the church's bylaws, in the church's constitution, and 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 those rules are based upon scripture. But they chose not to discipline uh, their uh, their fellow brother. They flipped it even more so by saying that I, as the pastor, how could I chastise them? And I have a minister on her deathbed, and I know nothing about it. And so I had no clue what they were talking about. I had I had no clue. And so they uh, went on to tell me that uh, one of my ministers had been stricken with age four cancer and she was on her deathbed and that I was the cause of her death. Well, I just so many questions. Yes. If there's if there's somehow some mental gymnastics happening to blame you somehow for bringing people together to reconcile. Once you yeah. get into that mindset, I guess it's only logical that you are to blame for someone's cancer. So I see where I'm they're the coming from. I'm to blame. And so um, here's, here's some more backstory, because you will see that uh, throughout uh, my tenure, uh, there was always this um, undercurrent, you know, to uh, get rid of me because I found out that you know, no one really wanted me there. Uh, I was the second person that they chose because the person that they really chose, uh, he he was chosen by the church less than a mile down the road. And so I was the second runner up. I found out that they really didn't want me, but, you know, I was, the, you know, the better out of the other two candidates. So one night in Bible study, uh, we were getting ready to close out the Bible study. And uh, this was during uh, COVID. This was in the height of of COVID, um, of the pandemic. And so we would always close out Bible study uh, by doing a roll call. And so one night I'm in the middle of the roll call and I'm, you know, um, calling names. And one of my associate ministers, I referred to her by her name and not her title. I referred to her as so-and-so and not minister so-and-so. And so the next day she and her husband, who was legally blind, and that's going to make sense later, uh, they uh, they called me and uh, they chastised me because they felt like I was playing favoritism. But it was an honest mistake. It, it was an honest mistake. There was there was no malice. Um, the conversation became so heated. I, as the pastor, had to make um, an executive decision to uh, strip the minister um, of her role. And and um, of the use of her title uh, for a period of time until she received training. Now this was this was totally um, within my right as the pastor, um, according to the bylaws of the church. Well, she did not like it. Uh, she reported me to the deacons. Um, they called the local um, missionary Baptist association on me. And then this was another controversy. Little did I know was that her 
her cancer um, had returned. And so she had stage four breast cancer and uh, she didn't tell anyone. Uh, no one from the church knew of this. Her husband did not even know. And so she was going to this um, holistic uh, retreat where, you know, she stopped taking all of her medication. And um, from what I understand, she then dwindled away. And then she passed away subsequently. She passed away. Back to the deacon's meeting that night. Uh, so I had no idea that she was in the hospital. I had no idea that her cancer returned. And so they blamed me for her death because they said that I had caused undue stress and I had caused undue harm to her uh, when she was disciplined for her actions uh, towards me. You could tell from the beginning it was in a good situation and you could tell they didn't yeah. like you. Yeah. Knowing a little bit about this story previous to kind of recording, were they projecting or displacing because you were starting to find out some things about, you know, what they were doing within the church that wasn't exactly uh, legal financially? And so really when you, when you, when you look at the real issue, um, I was uncovering some unsavory financial practices, uh, you know, that was going on uh, with the financial committee and with members of the prominent families in the church. We had um, established a, a, a um, ministry um, at the church um, that was, we, we had established a, a community outreach ministry at the church that was very vibrant and, and, and very strong. And so we were feeding in about uh, four neighborhoods during the height of COVID. Usually about three days a week, we would all go down to the church and we would uh, set up the ministry, set up the food items and, you know, what have you. And so one day the uh, financial secretary uh, received a piece of mail, which was a bill from the local gas company. And so when she opened the bill, she, she screamed, she said, oh, no. Pastor so and so, I cannot believe this. This this bill is over five thousand dollars and some change. And I said, Oh no, that must be a mistake because we had not been meeting in the church, right? There was nothing going on. We we had suspended um all of our services. We were meeting online at that time. But we were just going there to uh distribute, you know, food, you know, to those who were in need. And so when we did our investigation, I was almost able to uncover exactly what was going on. So when, when I did my investigation, I found out that on our bill, there were seven stops, seven stops on our bill where the driver stopped to fill other folks' propane tank. When I went to meet with the gas company the, the last time, they were going to give me a list of all the stops and the names associated with all the stops. And I couldn't meet with them that day because they told me they were no longer permitted to give me information on that account. And I said, how could that be? I'm the pastor of the church. Legally, I have a right to this information. It stopped right there. They, that investigation stopped cold in its tracks. And I believe I was very close to uncover what was really going on with the finances of the church. And I believe all of that uh, led to uh, my demise, you know, as the past. 
um, of that church. And um, I do believe all of this, you know, that I'm sharing with you tonight was displaced blame because I was starting to uncover their their wrongdoing. Uh, the latest in their tactic to uh, to get rid of me and to keep me from finding out, you know, what was going on with the finances was to blame me for the death of the associate minister and to go to the extent to, to spread it in the community that I was responsible for her death and to make a complaint to the local Missionary Baptist Association. This was probably my third complaint to the association. So when I received the phone call uh, from the president uh, of the Missionary Baptist, I'm sorry, y'all. He said, I'm just going to tell you, Pastor, that you better be ready for whatever comes your way because they are preparing to destroy you. And then he shared with me uh, what was going on. And I will tell you that this particular incident almost tore me to pieces. And, and 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 I'm shivering right now, and and you can probably hear in my voice the quivering uh, right now because I because I am reliving uh, this situation in my mind. But the audacity and the and the, and the simplicity of the of the mindset of the people to think that I have the power of life and death, you, you see, and you know in my hands uh it was just it was it was mind-boggling when the yeah. official from the denomination said that what did he mean yeah. they're going to they're going to destroy you he said they were he said they were planning to destroy me because they because they were they were ready to, i believe he meant that they were ready to go to certain lengths to uh, make a case that i was the cause of of this person's death uh, because I because I placed undue stress and I placed on her and that somehow caused her cancer uh, to come back. But at that time they didn't know that she stopped taking all of her medications. I mean this is this is a a massive story and a and a pretty significant <laughs> undertaking on their part yeah. to want to um, yeah. blame you for this. H how extensive was the financial mismanagement that you were uncovering? Beyond let, just let me, the gas bill, yeah. how crazy did yeah, this let, this financial piece get? During during 2020, during the you know the pandemic, uh, you know when the pandemic first started and the height of the pandemic, because we weren't having any programs, uh, um, we made the decision uh, to cut the budget, right? Because the budget of the church uh, was was massive, and they fought me on this. The budget was massive, and and when I say massive, I'm saying one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. And so, um, someone else may say one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars—that's nothing. But this was a church. This was a very small church with barely fifty members, right? And you had a budget of one hundred twenty-five dollars, but you had no programs. You had nothing to show where these monies were going. There was there was no programs in the community. There was nothing going on in the church. But what we uncovered, um, um, I was able to get a new financial team in place. You know, I, I didn't manage to uh, do that. But what we uncovered is that the line items on the budget 
were all inflated and we were paying for services that we never had. For example, we were paying for internet at, 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 at a 500 and some change per month and we didn't even have internet. Who is cutting the checks for these things? <laughs> exactly, exactly. We were paying for garbage services that were that were just astronomical. When we cut the budget, and the process for cutting the budget is to go through each bill, you know, line by line, and to reorganize, you know, your payment. We could easily see that. Oh my God. They were inflating the numbers, but but where is this money going? It was going to somebody. It was going somewhere, and so and so when we stopped that, when we froze all monies going out of the church, and then I became the problem. Let me put it into perspective for you on this gas bill. My first night in the church, my first night of Bible study in the church. It was it was a Wednesday night in January of 2020. We walked in the church, there was a stench, there was a smell of gas, and we couldn't figure out why. And so I had to cancel Bible study that night. Well, I learned, uh, because I, I have no idea, you know, um, what happens with propane, because I've never used propane in my life. But I've learned that when, when your tank is low, that um, it gives off a smell so that you will know it needs to be filled again. Well, it was a, it was, it was a at least a 500 gallon tank, and and I hope I got my numbers right. But the tank was, was large, and so there there was no reason, you know, fill your tank in the middle of winter. So 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 we paid for the tank to be filled in January, and by March we're paying for it to be filled again. And then we see from the bill that it's being filled every month after that time. You had some people taking yeah. a free ride on the church budget. They were taking a free ride on the church's budget. And now I'm the bad guy. Interesting. They had their feet that close to the flames of hell and they're playing with gas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So is this coming to the head in this this meeting or is this meeting just the beginning of several meetings you had? That Oh, this, this meeting is the beginning. This meeting is the beginning of several meetings of um, offing my, you know, minister, one of my ministers. Um, but I will share this with you. Uh, the day before, I was not invited to her funeral, of course. But the day of her funeral, the morning of her funeral, her husband called me. He was he was he was crying profusely. And he said, and I'll never forget the words he said. He said, Pastor, he said, I, I, I could not go on any longer. I could not put my wife in the ground knowing that we wronged you. He said, I'm sorry. He said, I'm sorry for whatever we've done to you. I'm sorry for what we said about you. He said, please forgive me. I said, you know, Mr. So-and-so, you know, you were forgiven a long time ago. I said, but I want you to know that I'm here for you. Anything you need me to do, I'm, I am here for you. And I said, I said, if you need me to be at the funeral today, I will be there. If you want me to be there, I will be there. He said, oh, no, there's a limited amount of seats because of COVID. And I later found out that <laughs> most of the church was there. And so while, and so while I thought he was, he was genuinely calling to peace and you know, with me, I found out that he was still holding on, you know, to some resentment. Uh, but 
I was going to say now that I look at it in retrospect, it was probably um, protecting me from, you know, from something or some folk. Because I, I, I don't think I would have been welcome there. Well, and I think in the end, you know, one of the things that's that's really healthy for your soul and your spirit looking back on it is to recognize that um, when confronted with an opportunity to lash out, you leaned into the gospel yeah. and, and talked yeah. about forgiveness. Yeah. And, yeah. and when we talk about these stories, sometimes the stories are, are in, such as in this case, are so uh, brutal um, at the heart of them that it's one of the things we want to encourage folks to do is recognize that our sense of being, our sense of calling should not ever be wrapped up in a group of people called a congregation, but our calling mm -hmm is defined by uh, the God who called us. And so I want to applaud you for remaining faithful to your call in that moment when it would have been very easy to lash out um, yeah. or to get angry. And, and I'm not saying that you weren't angry, but you didn't take an unrighteous angle with that anger. So hear that as an affirmation more than anything else. It's, yeah. it, it doesn't yeah. take any of that away, but it, um, but but I appreciate the way you uh, engage the situation. Well, thank you, and 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 my brother, I can just tell you, it was it it, it had to be um, the Holy Spirit leading and guiding me because I, I could not have done that in my own strength. It it it, it was just uh, it was just too overbearing, and so you know I I just thank God for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in those moments that you, you know, just spoke about. We're going to let you go um, and unpack this, but I wonder if you might leave us with, you know, what is your one takeaway from, from this experience? How have you used this opportunity, unfortunate opportunity um, to, to grow? You know, our calling is, is much more, it's much bigger than, you know, these uh, situations, you know, that we go through. Um, and I have to lean on the fact that God is much bigger than any of the problems, you know, uh, that, you know, that we deal with in our ministries and going through all of these situations. And there are numerous, I could have gone on and on, is that I've learned, I've learned to, uh, to really appreciate uh, the practice of Sabbath rest. <laughs> so I, I rest more often now, you know, so I can um, rejuvenate my soul, uh, stayed away from pulpit ministry, um, from um, parish ministry, but but um, but even um, in my other forms of ministry, you still deal with um, the um, humanness of, of people, and and that. And that um, oftentimes can get ugly. I've learned to now step back, to take a break, you know, and not to deal with everything head on like I'm used to doing. It's okay to take time, you know, to respond to certain situations. You don't always have to have a response, you know, uh, you know, a response at the snap of your finger and to pray about it. And um, I know that may be very simplistic. Uh, but but prayer but prayer has been my my best friend in dealing with these situations and so and so I've learned I've learned to deal with things in a different manner 
I've learned to call on friends more often. Um, I've learned to seek out help more often. And I've just learned to, you know, to, to rest, you know, and, you know, and to take breaks. And, and for me, that's how I now flourish. That's, you know, that's, that's how I now thrive. Well, thanks for having the, awesome. the courage to share uh, your story with us. Thank you, my brother, for having me this evening. I really hope that this helps uh, someone. So much love, brothers. Take care. All right. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. Okay, so here's here's the here's the first thing that that I would say is that in a conflict situation, there are ways to handle. A, there are ways to handle situations so as not to inflame it into a major conflict. Now, the culture of this particular church tradition gives the pat gives the pastor more power or at least the perception of more power. Mm, yeah. Right. So, so for a, a young clergy coming in, in a situation like that, who has been told about the, the, the official, uh, and, and he even used the language of, I made an executive decision and stripped that person of their title. Right. So this, this absolute authority comes off as, the one tool you have and and what do we know that every thing looks like if your only tool is a hammer you treat everything like a nail and you just hit it and hit it and hit it and uh, in this case you know here's a situation where you know our guest recognized had i taken a more measured approach and not gone in so heavy-handed perhaps perhaps something else would have would have happened in this situation, both with that minister as a result of a meeting, but also with the where this whole story started, which was with a three-toothed deacon threatening to <laughs> kill another deacon. Can, can we not lose sight of that? <laughs> Sorry. I'm just still thinking about, you know, there had to be so much whistling and like, how did you take them serious? <laughs> Maybe that's what <laughs> Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, it would be, it would be fascinating in a circumstance like this to kind of like line up the timeline on all this, you know? Uh, and obviously that's not kind of the point of this conversation, but it would be fascinating to see if at what point did he start uncovering the financial stuff? At, at what point did the whole like deacons threaten each other situation happen? And then at what point did the conversation happen, which you got blamed for causing cancer, you know, and the inability of people to recognize how they project their own guilt onto others. If you know, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Perfect sense. Um, at a very, at a very tactile level, tangible you know a strategic level a couple a couple mistakes that that our guest would probably articulate or agree with at least and and one is that when you go into a new system as a as a leader you, you need to learn the culture and find out where the some of those pockets are where there's some dysfunction or where the power lies or where the the tension between people is coming from before trying to address it. 
because it is that very power piece that kind of bit him in the butt when he tried to discipline 50% of his deacon board and the four deacons then all, you know, uh, made an allyship to attack him instead. Um, so first of all, I would say, pick your battles, (laughs) right? Right. Is this a, is this a hill you want to die on? Now I understand you feel like you got to address something like one deacon threatening another one or, or whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, the absolute authority in that situation, which may feel like it is a useful tool, depending on the culture, can be very, very uh, harmful. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of split on this. Every church I've done a pastor search process, at some point in the process, I ask the question, like, what are the warts? Not who are the warts, but what are the warts? And Mm -hmm. I've had the benefit of, and I'm very careful to say, I don't want to know the names and and necessarily the context circumstances that lets me know who these individuals are. But like, what are the challenges I'm, I'm going to run into and the personalities that are associated with that? I've asked that both of the pastor search teams. And if there's a good relationship with the outgoing minister, I might have that exact same conversation. But again, I don't want to know individuals' names. And I feel like at times that has helped me navigate some things or foresee some things or recognize some things as they start to flare up in some of those early meetings or in those meetings where you seem to be bringing about uh, anxiety responses to change that you're bringing. Um, but not, obviously he's not, <laughs> he wasn't afforded this situation because the, the one of the people that are trying to hire him is one of the people that's the major problems in this, you know, mm-hmm. chair of the pastor search team sounds like chair of the deacons that that's causing some of these issues. Yeah, absolutely. But, but if you, if you ask those types of questions, you're going to get a sense if, if you're willing to really deeply listen, as opposed to, I, I really want this job. And so I'm, I'm not going to allow myself to hear the things that I need to hear because they might raise too many red flags. And even if you hear the red flags, it doesn't mean don't take the job. It just means you're going in knowing a little bit better prepared to to know what you're dealing with. From, From the conflict resolution piece, the other big thing that I think was important is he talked about all hell breaking loose in the, the church meeting, right? Um, folks, if you don't ever learn anything from any of our podcasts, do not have town hall meetings over contentious items. Because let me tell you who speaks at a town hall meeting, the extroverts who are processing out loud, the crazy people who have maybe a third of the information, but all of the answers, and then just the absolute angriest people who probably haven't actually darkened the door of the church. They just needed to come somewhere and engage in a fight. The worst part about all that is when you draw a Venn diagram of those three, they're often pretty close to the same people. And I'm not dismantling experts, extroverts here because I am one. I process out loud. But in a, in a town hall meeting, that's the voices you're going to get. You're not going to get the voice of the person with the wisdom that sits there and quietly is taking all of this in and then says three hours later to their spouse, you know, if somebody had just said, right, um, I mean, that's what happens in my house all the time. My wife looks at me and says, you know, if you just kept your mouth shut, uh, we'd have been better off. Um, 
so I think I, I think finding better ways to have these meetings is really important because they often actually are an accelerant in the fire of the conflict. Hmm. Yeah, and in addition to that, oh, and one other tip there: if you're going to do that, whoever's responsible for walking around the room with the microphone, never let it go. <laughs> do not give crazy people a microphone because that just empowers them just look at what's happening here the two of us each have really nice podcast microphones and we're out of control i saw a uh a, a cartoon the other day and this is a it had a long line of like clearly old white people in it and it was like long died tribe disguised as a question um it was a town hall meeting so <laughs> Exactly. Uh, you know, the, I, I know this sounds crazy, um, but like several of the circumstances that he described, and I'd, I'd hire a lawyer. Like, I know, yeah. like, that's the crazy thing. Like, you know, we think in this, you know, oh, it's the church. We're going to come to a place of reconciliation. There's grace, there's love. Ain't no people like church people. And it, I mean, ministers are guilty, equally as guilty. Uh, I mean, there's a laundry list of uh, minister sins that are out there that we're still uncovering and still dealing with. But, you know, circumstances like this, you've got two people that are threatening each other with violence. You've got uh, a case for um, uh, libel and slander. And then you're starting to uncover um, fraud. Uh, Fraud, yeah, fin financial fraud from a nonprofit standpoint. Hire a lawyer, like hire a lawyer as soon as possible. Um, you know, and, and I think for many ministers, I, of course, that's, that's a huge expense. Um, but it's one of those things where those types of circumstances protect you um, in such a way because you know the church is such a unique context, and and obviously it, it so rarely happens, but litigation is possible. Uh, suits are possible in these types of situations um, and to protect yourself, to protect your family. Um, I, I just think that's absolutely essential in a, in a situation like this. But I guess the question, you know, for most people, because they're not used to doing something like this is at what point do you recognize or do you, do you make that decision that I need to lawyer up in, in this type of circumstance? Yeah. And, and you and I both have some resources of folks that they could talk to that, that are attorneys that could help them in that space. So if, if that's ever the case, feel free to reach out to us. We're, we're not going to mention those names uh, in this space, but, but we will in an individual one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, the, the other piece of that lawyering up thing, right? Like we, we do think there's going to be some reconciliation. I, I got called one time about a, uh, to explore a consulting uh, piece with the church that wanted to do conflict resolution between the church and the pastor. And the more the, the chair of the deacons and I talked over the phone, I finally said, you know, I'm happy to propose a conflict piece for you all, but I don't, and, and it would be very expensive because of the amount of time that it's going to take. I said, but I think your outcome is going to be the same. And that is that you need to hire an, uh, a human resources attorney, not a church conflict consultant. Right. Her her hope was that there would be some reconciliation in the process. The reality was it wasn't going to happen. I mean, and I hate to say that so definitively as if God can't do great things. But I think sometimes we put 
so much responsibility on God to handle things that we find uncomfortable that we are not leaning into the agency and the gifts to what God gave us to use in the first place. That type of theology is very similar to the theology of God's just going to heal this without me actually having modern medical intervention. So, Fair enough. The last thing that I would highlight in, in all of this with uh, our guest, and I so appreciate you asking that question at the end about what's your one takeaway, what's one thing that you've learned. Th three things were really mentioned there. One was a measured approach. Take a deep breath. Same reason you don't send an email that you write when you're angry. Sometimes go for a walk and figure out, um, you know, and, and do some discernment work, some prayer walks, that sort of thing. The second thing is that the person talked about Sabbath rest. And, and what I appreciate about that is that Sabbath rest is a nuanced way of talking about rest. It's not just going and taking a nap. And that may be a part of it, but it's about rest for your soul. Because it's when we get tired and discouraged and anxious and depressed that we tend to make the most egregious of mistakes. And then the third thing that he talked about was calling people to ask for help, for advice, having those holy friendships um, that, that just help you talk through things. They, they aren't necessarily there to give you answers, but they may keep you from doing something stupid harmful either to yourself your family your congregation so use use the develop and use those holy friendships all right folks that's it visit clergyconfessions.com if you have a story to tell or if you need help with coaching through some particular challenges you're facing as a minister or if you're a congregation that has some conflict that you need help navigating visit clergyconfessions.com and submit a form to us today you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and whatever Twitter's now called. Don't forget to like and rate and review this episode as well as the podcast. We'll see you next time in the confessional.